Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually don't sir. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I've got a throw punches. What you doing down here, you surely, man? <laughs> if Roy Hodgson had named his squad for the Euros on Tuesday night, and the following day, his assistant Ray Lewington had spent 20 minutes in front of the media critiquing some of those players individually and collectively you'd imagine there'd be something approaching mass hysteria in the English, me- in the English media but Roy Keane's star turn yesterday seems to have been broadly welcomed from what I've read Owen Ken and Murph here at the Irish Times Second Football Podcast Hello there Owen How you doing? Do you guys broadly welcome Roy Keane's constructive criticism of Aidan McGeady and others? I broadly welcome I welcome it I don't even just broadly I narrowly welcome it I broadly welcome it <laughs> whatever with you want yeah, yeah I welcome it yeah that's what I want to hear it's a bit like you know uh, I mean I'm I'm a football man Owen yeah but but first and foremost I'm I'm an Irish man and maybe this maybe we Irish people are somehow spiritually at odds with this beautiful game of soccer we have our own national games, which are quite different. Mm. And uh, sometimes I wonder if we wish soccer wasn't a little bit more like those games. Uh, and I mean, I was at down at Turner's Cross on Tuesday. James McLean got the ball, <laughs> uh, dribbled past one man, tried to go past another, was kind of body checked to the ground, fell to the ground, looked up at the referee. Referee did the, you're not getting out for that. Leapt to his feet with a, his face is just a mask of rage. Charged straight at the nearest Belarusian, then had to charge at the next one because that's where the ball went. Went straight through him, <laughs> smashed him, you know, to the ground. Got up, uh, another Belarusian is coming to get the ball, smashes him as well. Now, ecstatic would not be underselling the response of the crowd to that moment. I was watching through my fingers. I was thinking, no, because you could see it all happening in advance. You know, if, if, a, if a referee in the Euros is seeing this happening, he's like, this guy's about to get himself sent off. Is he really going to go through with this or is he just trying to sort of, you know, um, sort of intimidate the opponent? No, he's actually, he's actually gone and done it. Oh, he's done it again. Can I send him off twice? Can I show two red cards? But the whole place, turns across, just erupted 
It was, yeah, that's what we want to see. That's what we want to see, James McLean. Yeah. And, you know, McLean did that a couple of more times in the game as well. You know, he, he loses the ball. He goes, he goes straight after it and he throws himself in. And we love that. Uh, that's, if he controlled the ball a little better, he wouldn't have to then chase his mistimed touch straight into another opposing player, which is kind of what we've seen quite a bit from him. I mean, there was, you know, he did it in the, in the qualifiers. He was, he was blessed not to get sent off in the match against Poland. Remember that? Yeah. Arkadiusz Milik. He didn't, that guy didn't play for six weeks after that. You know? A tackle by James McLean. Anyway, uh, I think, likewise, we really like to hear Roy Keane deconstruct. He's sounding like someone who just hates footballers. <laughs> he just is disgusted. He's against modern football. Right, that's that's Roy Keane's. The team is the rest of it. against like modern a retired football. rugby player. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> it's like you know, this is just uh, as far as he's concerned, it kind of turns his stomach a little bit. Some of the guys who didn't make it, some of the guys who did make it, uh, a lot of the modern practices of the game. Let's hear a little bit of what he said because he did individualize it a little bit as well. It wasn't just generally against modern football; it was also against some specific modern footballers, and. Uh, I think the one who probably got it hardest on the day was Aidan McGeady. If you're talking about my reaction to Aidan's performance last night, then I think he can do a lot better. But maybe that's the story of Aidan's career, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's astonishing. It's among the most withering things I can remember anyone saying about a player who is in their squad. To To sort of... Can you imagine somebody said that about you? Can you imagine how you would feel if to, to, to hear somebody say that? If not my to, boss had said that, or, or no, not even my boss, some guy between the Smi- where the I am, Smithers of the, the Smithers operation, of the operation, Wayland Smithers of says the, that to the world's media. Basically, this guy's middle management. That's the story of his career. Come back yeah. with a with a yeah. McGeady's thinking, really? Well, and to be honest, it's true. It's one hundred percent true. Aidan okay. McGeady's career has been when you consider. Uh, the sort of ability that he had, the way that he was spoken about at the beginning, the start that he made to his career, how it's panned out has been, uh, let's say, the trajectory of improvement flattened out considerably. Plateaued. Plateaued, to use a football man uh, word. Well, that's why it's so cutting. You know, I mean, if if he'd said something that was kind of mean, mm. mean, but... Well, that is you know, like it, Yeah, oh, no, mean, but kind of, you know, it's, it's an off... Yeah, yeah, mean, but untrue. Yeah. I mean, maybe a player can deal with that a little better. Yeah, but if you're Ed McGeady, it's like, listen, lads. You know, the lads are giving him a bit of a beast in the dressing room. Forget about it. You know, it's no big deal. Yeah. And he goes back to his hotel room and just stares at himself in the mirror for half an hour. So yeah, God. and it's it's true. He's right. He's but right. but just because it's true, does it mean that it's the right thing to say? <laughs> you know what I mean? If you could all agree on that, yeah. It, you know, a lot of times managers will talk about how it's dangerous to do this sort of thing in public because nine times out of ten, the player doesn't think. Fair comment from the gaffer, or, you know, gaffer's assistant. Uh, I must do better. I mean, it's not as though Aidan McGeady's going to change now. He's nearly 30. <laughs> or is he 30? He's, he, is he actually 30? Yeah, I think he is. He's just turned 30. So he's kind of formed. He's fully formed uh, as a man. I don't, I don't know if he's going to change his ways. And I don't know if this is going to... I, I assume that the intention with Keane, and you can see what his intention is, I suppose, is to provoke him. Okay, Aidan proved me wrong. You know, we're going, to need to, we're going to need to see a bit more from you. He did say that. You know, he's going to have to play a lot better if he wants to get in the team, the actual team, not the squad. Um, let's, see a little, let's see a little bit more from you in the hope of sparking a response. I just, I don't know if that's going to work. 
I don't. Yeah, I, it's I, just I, gone thirty. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's that. That was McGeady, but McGeady wasn't the only one who was who was also getting it. I mean, here, listen, listen to this. This is Nathan Murphy asking uh, Keane a question. Just, just, just listen to what happens here. This is quite an unusual thing to happen in a press conference, particularly when the manager wants to, or the person, I should say, who's giving the press conference wants to make this type of point. Jeff Hendrick and Dow Murphy are two players that haven't played here in football over the past few months. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah, there's a bit of a challenge over the next 10 days or so to really get up to match. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we talk about players as well, you know, going into the game last night or next week. Sometimes we, we fall into it, we make excuses for players, or they've not played much football. But you're still training, you know, you're still controlling the ball, you still have to run. You can still physically get in decent shape, you can, you can lack match sharpness, and we'd forgive a player for that. But you've got to get yourself in a good, good state. Be fit, be as strong as you can, eat properly, prepare properly, be decent lad around the place. Last night was a good occasion for some of the players. Whatever about it was down in Cork City in the pitch and it was sunny, forget that. You're playing international football. You're playing international football. Control the bloody ball. Pass it and move to your mates. And if you lose it, run back. And run back like you care. <laughs> well, did, what was unusual about that? Well, did you, he actually interrupted the question in order to say... Yeah, you could tell. Oh, yeah, they haven't played much football. They and he just jumped straight in. Jumped straight in. He didn't. He didn't wait to hear what this question was. Okay, let's wait and see what this guy has to say. And you know, he, Keane obviously has a message. He's he's wanting to get across. This is not good enough. What we saw was not good enough. But to actually jump in in the middle of a question, just to jab, a, have another little jab at these two guys, uh, is is remarkable. Uh, I mean, he did say, "I want to kill some of them." Um, I've moved on from that. It was actually very, <laughs> very funny. I was watching Sky Sports uh, news, just flicked over last night, and the headline just comes up: "News from Republic of Ireland squad: Roy Keane, I wanted to kill the players." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just boldly uh, lobbed up there with no context. I mean, yeah, and it is always important to remember the context. You know, and Keane has Keane has been speaking last night. He was he was doing a. a, a gig down in Cork with Martin O'Neill uh, and a couple of the players, I think, uh, and some quotes emerging from that. This is and, a Today FM yeah. chat, was our Matt Cooper chat, yeah. Uh, bon voyage to the boys in green or, or something along these lines. Uh, so I think it's probably on Matt Cooper uh, later on, or some of it is anyway. What did they have to say? But, but Keane just said, I said a few things in the media. I was joking with some of the stuff I said, believe it or not. It was tongue in cheek. Uh, sometimes it's nice to have a little setback to remind you of the hard work we have ahead. When you look at the group we're in, it's going to be very difficult. So it's true that Roy Keane does say things which are, he, you know, sarcastic or not 100% serious, but there is always a sort of a point to what he's saying. And I really don't see how you can say tongue-in-cheek it's been the story of Aiden's career. Yeah, if it was one, and also if it was just one comment over 20 minutes that sounded somewhat critical, then fair enough. But the he there was a message you want to get across, and it's he's not, not the first manager or assistant manager to. Well, he might be the first assistant. Man. We don't usually hear from assistants that often uh, saying anything interesting. But you, usually, if you want to light a fire under these under a group of players, it's done in a slightly more collective basis as opposed to the this case where he had to go with the collective while also picking out some individuals. Or once the individuals were picked out for him, he was ready to... Picking out a few individuals. I mean, he also ran a couple of blind items where you're wondering, I wonder who he's talking about with this one. So have a listen to this next uh, segment where, again, Roy Keane is writing uh, against uh, Calcio Moderno and see if you can figure out which Irish player 
which malingering Irish player <laughs> he might have in mind. Enough to me get a knock. You don't need to go for a scan, you know what I mean? Or take painkillers or have two days recovery or match day minus two. I need to sit in the pool for an hour and a half, you know what I mean? It's, no, it's a man's game, okay, and believe it or not. I need to sit in the pool for an hour. I also like match day minus two. Is an interesting way of phrasing it. Is, yeah, the contempt in that uh, little piece of UEFA jargon. Scan as well. Scan. You know, what kind of player would want to do that? Like investigate these, yeah. you know, I don't need an x-ray. If the bone's coming out through the skin, then it's broken. That's basically what uh, Roy's <laughs> approach to modern, modern medical practice. But, uh, I mean, everybody loves that. I mean, you know, I think most people hear that and, and love that because they're like, yeah, come on, you know, just toughen it up, you know, get out there. Keane was talking about you're supposed to tackle people. You're supposed to be hitting people hard. You know, if you, actually, if you hit people hard in the European Championships, you will more often than not get sent <laughs> off. But, but you know, uh, it's, it, people, I think, miss that part of the game. No, and it's, maybe it is something which is, well, certainly much less part of it is now. And you do get some players. I mean, it would be, it would be inappropriate of us, I think, to, to name players who Roy Keane might be thinking of when he says, you know, who is he thinking of there? Who's the player who needs to go for a scan and sit really in the pool? Ah, yeah. I mean, if he, did, he named enough. He, he's given us enough to work with here that we yeah, don't we, actually have to attach names. We to don't names. know who that guy is, but it's probably not Robbie Keane because uh, he did mention Robbie Keane having a pro- positive attitude towards injuries. I usually ignores them if he mm. can. Um, not everybody does, and he considers that to be a failing. Give us one more barb there from Robbie Keane. One, one last thing, just as this is him talking about um, talking about some fringe players. I mean, but he considers players in the squad also to be fringe players. We're not just talking about the the fringe that was you know, left out. The fringe in Roy Keane's mind is quite large. You know, it's like a small core squad surrounded by a large fringe, which is uh, the rest of the players. So here he is uh, talking about them. And there's other lads then who, who, who would be fringe players and would be happy to fringe, be fringe players. They don't want the responsibility of being the starting 11. And they'll, they'll talk about it, but they won't actually do it. When they get opportunities like they did last night, they'll just go, yeah, maybe you don't want to be in the starting 11. Because there's pressure with that. There's pressure with that. That's an interesting one. At that level, mm. that Roy Keane feels players would think that way. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, would I mean, actually be afraid of the pressure of being in the first team, but do want the everything that goes with being in a major tournament squad. Mm. Oh yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, it's kind of big time. But Keane, I think, has always been really skeptical of of everyone essentially, of, of, of his teammates, of you know, of of, of his opponents. You know, as a player, he was consistently sort of challenging to, you know, especially his teammates. Really, such, you know, I mean, don't you think you slacked off a bit? You know, some people think they've won everything now and that's it. You know, some people are more interested in Rolexes, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's one of the things that's been a problem for him, I think, when he's been managing. Because although, you know, a lot of the time I think he's right. Or, well, he's, he's, got a, he's pessimistic. He has a pessimistic view of it, but which frequently sounds right to me, you know, but it's not necessarily what players need to hear. You know, I mean, I was reading, I mentioned the other, the other night, talk, the Carlo Ancelotti's new book, mildly diverting new book on management. Very different approach, let's just say. You know, uh, leaves motivation to the players themselves. He would, if, he would love to have Roy Keane in, in his dressing room, you know what I mean? He kind of, it's like, that's, they're the ones who do the job. They're kind of 
tough, the driven players in your team. They're the ones who set the tone. You've got to actually let them do that. You've got to give them the responsibility for doing that. And you don't, you know, you don't do it in public. You don't, you, you don't criticize your players in public. If you want to get rid of a player, get rid of that player. You know, at the end of the season, speak to the president. You know, have that, get rid of the, get rid of him. But, and if you need to, if a player is showing a poor attitude in training, you know, this is the only thing that he, he seems to ever kind of lose his temper at. If there's a poor attitude from a player in training, Sometimes you gather the players around and say, this isn't good enough, we need to do a bit better. But he, you, know, you, will not, you will not hear him come out and actually criticise players in the media because it's just too risky. He may, he, may want, he may feel that way, he may want to do it, but the consequences for it are unpredictable. How are those players going to react? Who are they going to talk to? What are they going to say? Do other people feel the same way? Are you suddenly developing a little rebellious you know, faction in your squad who actually want you to lose your job? We're sick of hearing this guy, you know, slagging us off. You know, who, who does he think he is? What makes him so great? That's why it's a dangerous game to get Should into. Should be stressed that the manager didn't get into that game, though. This is all coming from the assistant, which is maybe a different dynamic uh, to Martin O'Neill naming his squad and then saying, yeah, Aidan McGeady's in, but, you know, pff, really, Aidan, <laughs> uh, which would have which been potentially damaging. It's, it's true. And, and, and what we haven't said was that on the basis of the game, the performance was terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really terrible. So he, he obviously feels, well, that's, that's not good enough. Maybe Keane is looking at it with a short time horizon as well. It could be that he's not going to be the assistant manager for much longer. I mean, you know, we, we, we don't know if there are jobs in the horizon, but he has been pretty open about the fact that he would like to have a full-time management job. So maybe he's thinking, well, I'm not just going to sit on my hands here while this whole thing happens. This is a big opportunity for the squad. Just want to make sure they're focused on what they do. So hopefully they take it in the right way. Because, you know what I mean? I, I, I hope they do, and, and maybe they will. Loads coming up on this podcast. Emmett Malone was in the was at that press conference in Cork for the Irish Times, so we'll chat about that. Paul McGrath from our big Euros preview show earlier in the week in Cork, and a bit of a spanner in the French squad's preparations, which I think we might get into pretty quickly. Let's get a quick report in sport, though, okay? I should just mention that Martin O'Neill's had a pop at Eamon Dunphy in that... Uh, and that thing, I wonder, is that going to be a hostage fortune? Maybe Martin O'Neill thinks it doesn't really matter. Amy Luffy called me crass and unfunny the last time he was talking about me uh, when Martin O'Neill made that uh, gag about the the um, good-looking oh, yeah. wives being welcome at the at the train camp. Uh, Dunphy called him crass, unfunny, and embarrassment to Irish football. Martin O'Neill now responds, "It doesn't bother me in the slightest. This is to be criticised." To be criticised by a failed manager is bad enough, but to be criticised by a failed player like Eamon Dunphy, I have to have a laugh at this. I heard Eamon once said, and I can't do the Dublin accent, I was a good player, not a great player. No, Eamon, you weren't even a good player. You can't call yourself a good player if you've never played in the big league. He couldn't make the grade at Manchester United, and he's been pontificating for years. Uh, so <laughs> That's slightly surprising for Martin O'Neill. Yeah, it's a bit, that could easy. We all know where this could end. Well, I, I think I know at least one part of how this story plays out. <laughs> I think I can anticipate at least one uh, aspect of of its development. But you know, at the same time, it's also uh, Martin O'Neill's attitude is: if you haven't won two European Cups, shut your mouth. Mm. You know, uh, how many European Cups have you won, Kino? Just the one. Of course, you weren't even in the field for that one, right? Really. Yeah. Not even one, really. Mm. Uh, how many World Cups did you play in? <laughs> Just the one. Well, yeah. Um, one and a half, let's call it. So, I mean, I guess it's it's something that you often hear from uh, from guys who have been top players. They don't take anyone else's opinion seriously. Uh, I'm not sure if you actually have to have been a top player 
in order to, you know, have some opinions on the game. Sometimes we've even, all sometimes even make good points about it. I think we've all met our piece at this stage with Dunphy's football career. <laughs> I mean, he did play what twenty six times for Ireland yeah, or something. Like of all, too bad, twenty four times. Remember, he got a little statuette if he made twenty five caps, and I think. He, Oh, the yeah. FBI ensured that he never but you got know that twenty fifth cap, according to him, and of course, which is which is equivalent, I think, these days to more like a sixty cap yeah. kind of career. You know, in terms of the frequency of games not being that high, um, so you know that was a that was a decent level. And and by the way, quite a lot of Martin O'Neill's players uh, are playing at the same level uh, now, so uh, they can't call themselves good players. Anyway, enough enough of that for now. There'll be plenty more of that uh, over the coming weeks. Uh, we should mention England, though. England, Roy Hodgson named his squad. And this is on Tuesday afternoon. You know, Owen, they called him Boring Roy. They called him Boring Roy. Can you believe that? Well, I don't think that's going to happen again, Owen, because Roy Hodgson, who is known as a, a belt, braces and hands and pockets manager, is currently going to the European Championships wearing just uh, a pair of Bermuda shorts. You know what I mean? Like, or like he's, he's actually sitting doing the exam in just his underpants, and he doesn't even mind, and he's not even dreaming. This is real. Mm-hmm. He's just turned up wearing the underpants, and he doesn't care. And uh, and you know he's he's named an England squad, which has got three central defenders. One of whom, Gary Cahill, is a little bit injured. So he's also got uh, Chris Smalling, who's had a good season, and John Stones, who hasn't had that good a season. And then he's got Eric Dyer, a defensive midfielder who can also play as a mediocre central defender. And uh, I don't know if you saw Eric Dyer's game against Chelsea, Owen, but he's also the kind of player who can who can pick up a yellow card or two. Yeah, I, I do recall <laughs> in the right in in you know when the competition gets heated. And that's basically it for that central defensive area of the squad, which I find really remarkable. I mean, you've got you've got three positions there at least, and he's got four players to cover those positions. Well, two positions. Is he playing three centre-halves? Two, two centre-halves and a defensive midfielder. Oh, I'm sorry, the defensive midfielder, yeah. Now, the player who, who I think uh, Roy Hodgson should have picked, who he doesn't pick, is Danny Drinkwater. Danny Drinkwater, who plays as a central midfielder, uh, a kind of an all-rounder central midfielder for Leicester City, has a really good relationship with one of England's strikers, Jamie Vardy, set up quite a few goals for him, has had an outstanding season, has won the Premier League with Leicester City, is not going. Jack Wilshere, three matches... This season is going. Jack Wilcher, Jordan Henderson didn't really play, didn't play the end of the season, <laughs> didn't do anything while he was playing. He's going as well. Uh, what, what, on what basis possibly can that, on what planet does that make sense on? How could you possibly bring a guy who played three matches over a guy who's won the league, had the season of his life, and by the way, Offers you qualities which are much more, which you actually need a lot more, a lot more scarce in your squad than what whatever Wilshire is giving you. I mean, Wilshire is a good player, but come on, you know, are we are we supposed to believe he can just play him? He just hit the ground running at the at the European Championships. I don't know. And up front, he's he's put Marcus Rashford in the squad. Yeah, you got to Yeah, you got to have your bolter. Well, you don't have your Martin O'Neill. I mean, England have named the youngest squad in the tournament. Mar- Ireland have the oldest. With the most players over the age of 30, uh, you know, Daryl Murphy gets in there, obviously McGeady, Callum O'Dowda looked much better than McGeady, but obviously, you know, he, this is, so there's no bolters in, in the Ireland squad, really. Um, England have no one on, oh, over 30 in their squad. No one, yeah. It's Rashford, well, Rooney is 30, but no one over, you know, 31 plus. Uh, Rashford, 
gets in with four other strikers. So where he's got four players to cover three positions at the back, he's got five players to cover two positions. Well, maybe three if, if he's considering playing Rooney as a you know behind two strikers, which has got which again is a is a bizarre thing. I, I don't think Rooney can play behind two strikers. It's a kind of it's a totally different thing. What Rooney has always liked in his career is to play behind one striker. You play behind one striker, you can come into midfield. Defender has to decide, do I want to go and follow him? If he doesn't, then you get the ball in space. If he does, then there's space behind him and the striker can go in. If there's two strikers up ahead, it's a different game. The defenders aren't going to come out. There's two strikers. Um, you've got the ball sort of in front of the defence. And what happens is kind of what happened in the FA Cup final. You know, that's sort of Rooney just passing the ball around in front of the defence. I don't know. But it strikes me that Marcus Rashford would not be in this squad if they were fully confident that Daniel Sturridge was fit. Yeah, I was just going to say it. That's 100% it. He obviously really rates... It says almost more about how highly he rates Daniel Sturridge than it does about what he thinks Marcus Rashford can bring to it. He just needs another striker in there and uh, because he's clearly, as he would be, concerned about Sturridge lasting this. Don't pick Sturridge. He's just... He's like ducking out of that decision. And I think dressing it up in a political way to make it look as though I'm embracing youth and attacking football. You're not. You're just ducking decisions. It's the same with Wilshire. You know, Wilshire is like, Wilshire is kind of an English football golden boy. At least he was. Drinkwater is like, what's, who's Drinkwater? Who is this guy? You know what I mean? He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't sort of fit into the golden generation. Sort of stri- so I, I don't know. I think he's, I think he's chickened out of, out of a couple of calls there. Um, I'm a bit surprised by it. News from France? We're going to be talking about Spiro about this story. It's just amazing. But just the quotes alone are, are, are fantastic from the story. We mentioned Eric Cantona last week having a big pop at Didier Deschamps suggesting that he didn't put uh, uh, Karim Benzema and Hadam Benafra in the team, in, in the squad, because of their background. He's got a really French name. Maybe he's, his, his family, Deschamps' family, never mixed with anyone in France like the Mormons in America. Uh, said Cantona, which is so, you know, contemptuous. Um, Deschamps now suing Cantona, according to reports uh, from a couple of days ago, uh, for slander. Um, But this thing has blown up now uh, big time because Karen Benzema has spoken about it himself. And he says, Deschamps has bowed to the pressure of a racist part of France. He says he has to know that in France, the extremist party reached the second round in the last two elections. He's referring to the Front National, the kind of anti-immigrant French party. I do not know, therefore, whether it is a decision only for Didier, because I've gotten along with him, with the president, everyone... I don't have a problem with anyone. I'm with France and I wish them well. So he's basically saying that political pressure from, you know, the right wing is the reason why he's not in the team. Now, of course, everybody thinks that the reason that he's not in the team is because he tried to, he was involved in a plot to blackmail a teammate over a <laughs> sex tape, right? Which is pretty dirty, pretty dirty goings on. Doesn't do a huge amount for team spirit. And that's what Lillian Turam is saying. Uh, Lillian Turam says, uh, when you're an important player, you must lead by example. When he says that he loves the French team, I have the impression he loves it in a bad way. His comments were irresponsible. He forgets he has not been selected because of the Valbuena issue. That's the origin. That's the, the sex type story. But they're not the only people speaking on this because the Front National, uh, the political party that that um, Benzema was was blaming, have got involved. Um, two two different Le Pens, uh, Marion Marshall Le Pen, uh, who I think is a is a grand niece or something of the of the former big boss, Le Pen, uh, said that if Benzema is not happy, 
let him go and play for the Algerian national team. So constructive comments. That's helpful, yeah. Constructive comments there from her. Um, but also Marina Le Pen, uh, who is the actual current leader of the Front National, uh, she says, I find these declarations scandalous. I'm not surprised that Mr. Benzema hides his wickedness behind a violent charge against the French people. Um, which is just like, I mean, come on. If, if, if Karim Benzema felt like maybe he was becoming a bit of a political football to be kicked around, well, he knows now that, in fact, he is. You know, whatever the rights and wrongs of his Valbuena, and, and it does seem to be pretty much all wrongs, and it is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard of any, anyone getting involved in, really. Um, he, this, this is also real. This other stuff that's going on is also real, and you can see it. I mean, they're proving it by what, you know, by what they're saying. Um, but Eric Cantona, I want his well, back. Yeah, yeah, sorry. They're, sorry. they're proving it, uh, that this attitude exists you know, in, in part of French society. But that doesn't mean that he's proven that this is why that, that sort of pressure for some reason is telling on Didier Deschamps and that Deschamps is leaving him out because of racist views of politicians. Well, we have to see what Deschamps does now because if he's going to sue Cantona, it seems to me he's got to sue Benzema as well. Benzema is saying he's caved in. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's not calling him a racist. Now, here, this is what Cantona has had to say because they've got back onto Cantona and he's only too happy to speak about this. Hey, Eric, you heard what he, what, what did he say? He says, uh, I'm absolutely not surprised by Benzema's comments. I'd like to point out that, like me, he has at no point accused Deschamps of racism. He has only said that Deschamps' decision was influenced by the public opinion, which is the result of the current political climate in France. Benzema showed courage with his comments because he's still playing and is still available for the national team. But it's only normal that he thinks like a French citizen before thinking like a player. He has responded to a certain problem. <laughs> then he says... Deschamps seems to be willing to sue me. It will be the first time he moves from a defensive position into an attacking one. You will find out whether it's easy. Between the three of them, Deschamps is... <laughs> between, between the three of them, Deschamps, his agent and his lawyer, they should be able to see the difference between defamation and discussing a problem in a society. I don't have scores to settle. I just give my opinion. <laughs> so Drops mic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, discussing problems in society, yeah. Maybe the Deschamps will accept that. Although, you know, he did, he was a little bit needlessly provocative. It wasn't just like, let's just have a discussion about this. It was like, oh, Deschamps' family, like the Mormons in America. You know, you know, that's sort of overtone in that. So I'm not surprised Deschamps got a little bit angry with that. Let's wrap. Cans report on sport. All right, that's, that's good manners. <laughs> players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no, 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 I've seen none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> <laughs> and we want to win football matches there's nothing to tame you know some sort of animal you know what I mean and you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like what a Teresa you know he's um, I don't know and we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. All right, Malone has popped back from Cork to be with us in the studio, Emmett. Um, Roy, seen in good form yesterday? 
Yeah, as as generally seems to be the case these days. He seems to be really enjoying the role and, uh, um, you know, spending most of the time away from the spotlight. But it was interesting to hear him talk about, even yesterday, the process of narrowing down the squad and how much he'd enjoyed that, the simple uh, the simple kind of uh, aspect of, of, of sitting in a room with the other coaches, uh, talking through the pros and cons of what players brought to the party as he said himself and uh, and, 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 and and in some cases calling people who, who he felt for on a personal level but felt had to go on a professional one he was he was ruthless enough really as he as he talked about fellas who had had the opportunity to go out and get club time you know playing and hadn't done it over the last two seasons It sounded a bit like he would like he would still like to call a couple of the players who are actually <laughs> in the squad I mean particularly Ed McGeady yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I, yeah, sadly, <laughs> sadly, he's got the wrong boss for that. I think. Uh, yeah, he was. He was kind of entertaining enough about uh, about a few of them. I mean, he was certainly scathing about. Um, uh, yeah, McGeady was one, and uh, the, the the comment about this, you know, uh, his kind of underperformance uh, being rather typical of, of of his career as a whole. I think Lee, um, uh, Jeff Hendrick came in for a, for a bit of a cut as well, and Daryl Murphy. You know, I don't know whether you'd say it was damned with faint praise or you know, but. Um, uh, you know he was he was supportive, but uh, not in a way that I'd imagine um, Daryl would have found uh, hugely um, endearing to read. This no, movie. and even James McLean, who is one of the guys who the only well one of the very few players that went out there and looked like he actually wanted to make an impact yeah, against Belarus, perhaps and, a little bit too much. Yeah, and, and Keane said, yeah, that's all well and good. He goes, they're making tackles, but he's got to show more quality on the ball and uh, be more of a goal threat. <laughs> so he's he's even having. But yeah. sorry, my point about that is that you can see some players react differently to different types of motivation sure. and you would think okay if, if he feels Aidan McGeady needs a rocket give him a rocket but it, I don't think that's what James McLean needs certainly he doesn't need to, he couldn't possibly get any more motivated yeah. so there seems to be this sweeping idea that I'll just fire I'll just have a have a you know give all the players something to think about all those fringe players yeah. uh, and uh, without necessarily thinking too much about the effect it would have on individuals yeah, yeah, yeah. That does seem to be his, his style in public. I mean, he, you know, he did talk about uh, some of the positive aspects of 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 what some of those, you know the players have brought to the you know to the squad over over the, the course of the campaign. But absolutely, you know, the tone of it was was extremely critical uh, in relation to the performance the other night. And and he's talking about you know really kind of very strongly you know saying that players on the one hand should get their foot in the ball and control it and pass it and pass it to a teammate and if they lose it to you know to chase back and look like they care about regaining it and and this is in relation to a game against the Belarus side who you know did absolutely nothing against Northern Ireland uh, whose who's kind of members whose travelling party were sort of apologising in advance of the game on Tuesday night for the fact that uh, you know this really isn't going to amount to much you know right. the, the lads are 19 minutes away from their holidays so uh, you know don't be expected much here, and uh, and then you know, okay, Ireland dominated the possession, but without doing anything with it. I mean, we created oh, oh, not until late on when Long and uh, Hulan came on, and you know, the, the, some of the A team uh, did, did they re- look remotely like they were going to score goals? And uh, uh, certainly, the neutral journalists were there, you know, from from you know uh, countries that we we're going to face in these championships were fairly uh, upbeat afterwards. Yeah, one of the themes that he kind of returned to a couple of times was this uh, his attitude towards injuries. And his attitude seems to be, you're always going to have one. It's a question of whether you can be man enough 
to ignore it <laughs> and and play on. I, well, I think the other thing is 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 the kind of uh, the, the the meritocracy of 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 you know of of how you have sustained your injury, you know, oh, yeah. and uh, you know, like if you if you if you if you're out with something that you sustained while you know laying into somebody uh, even on the training ground, then you know, that's, uh, yeah, exactly. There's a you know respect, but uh, uh, but you know uh, some of this other stuff. Some of the guys who fell limping around and they've done nothing in the game, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, there, was a, I, there was a touch of all of that. I mean, yeah. you just had to. It's just amazing this thing, you know. I mean, I think, I think everyone listening to that was just was probably laughing to themselves. Yeah, but I, but you know, I, you do have to say that it was, he delivers some of this with a kind of wry smile, and yeah. you know, you can see him, you know, playing up to the kind of. Um, uh, you know uh, the, the the stereotype of uh, that that he, that that Roy you know carries around with him. He contradicts himself a bit though because yeah. I, I mean his uh, you know his 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 more recent book. This was something he talked about. Uh, you know he obviously had to had to retire when he was what thirty five and mm. he, he was injured and. Was he even on his 35th birthday, 2006? I don't think he was quite 35 when he had to retire. And his hip was obviously in in rag order. Mm. And he mentioned that, you know, I played through so many injuries. Uh, Rudvan Nisseroy basically (laughs) looked after himself. I met him recently. He looks amazing. Uh, You know, he played much longer than I did. He He looks great. Maybe I should have looked after myself a bit more. You know, I should have. I should have been a bit more. If yeah. I if I had my time again, that's the way. That's the way. I did. He's yeah. now criticizing players for well, he, doing what he wishes he'd done himself. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, the, like the conversation that you know, uh, he, he this is something that he kind of goes around in circles on. And it's hard to avoid the conclusion, and it's a pretty obvious one that he would not have been the player he was, nor had the career that he had, nor won the admiration that he that he did, uh, had he not kind of put his body on the line in the way that he did. That was you know that was absolutely. Uh, at the heart of what Roy Keane was as a player, and uh, and it's and it's why so many people were were you know so in awe of him. I think the best point he made over the course of the press conference was that everybody was obsessing about the squad, who's going to make the squad. Yeah. But the players should be thinking about getting into the team, and there were players like David Myler and Jeff Henrik and these guys, like they were jumping out of tackles, and that's fine if you're trying to avoid getting injured. So I'm yeah. putting some of my opinion into Roy Keane. He didn't of mention those guys jumping out of tackles. But he did say that there were players out there who should have been thinking about getting into the team and not not just yeah. just making that 23. But then as Ken says, he contradicts himself. And, and, and you know, a, a few minutes before or after that, he was being asked about Harry Arthur and, and whether, you know, Harry Arthur would have, uh, uh, you know, potentially played a part in the team in France. And mm. his, his point at that stage, well, well, Harry Arthur's first concern was getting into the squad. Um, and, uh, and, and ultimately, he hasn't managed that. Um, but yeah. I think certainly from the media point of view and fans, the only interesting thing to talk about over the last little while was who's going to make the 23. Whereas, if you're a guy in there, surely the ambition sure. has to be... And he did, he said, Keane said this separately, yeah, some players like to talk a good game about wanting to be part of the eleven, but there's a bit of pressure attached to that. And so, yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. So, no, I'd agree, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, th- I think your initial point in, in, is specifically in relation to the Belarus game. Yeah. You know, a, a fair bit hangs on how much you believe was really at stake in that game in terms of places in the squad. Um, I, I mean, you have to assume that that most of the decisions, if not all the decisions, had essentially been made uh, beforehand. A couple of players were given a chance. I mean, uh, in, in contrast, I mean, the Darren Gibson opened the game with two absolutely wonderful, you know, uh, passes out to, out to the wings. And, I, and, and for a moment, I thought he's going to have, you know, the game of his life here and, and actually make some sort of case for a surprise inclusion. But, but you know, I mean, it didn't happen in the end. He was, he was awful for most of it. But, um, but other players like, uh, you know, if, if, if a lot of what had happened, 
gone on the other night had really mattered. You know, Hendrick could have been in trouble. You know, because he had a he had a really poor game, looked off the pace. Murphy looked off rusty, and you know, again, proposed no sort of threat. But but they were in basically on what they'd done over the, either the course of the campaign or the course of the season. And what we see is ultimately the players who got cut, um, the likes of. Um, uh, David Ford and uh, and Gibson um, yeah. are guys who weren't playing, you know. And this had been a, 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 a you know a mantra that had been kind of uh, um, wheeled out over and over again by by the management that these guys need to go and get games. And McGeady is rewarded for at least making the effort to get games, even though it, it really didn't work out for him in the way that it should have. It does seem that there's a divide developing, as there always is going to be with a squad. But even in the way that the, he characterises. The top players, you know, Hussein, Walters, Whedon, Walters, uh, Coleman. Yeah, Coleman. Th- these players don't. I'm sure you can throw long at that. These guys don't need to be motivated, and they sure. play with injuries and all all that sort of thing. I mean, up until relatively recently, Daryl Murphy was had started a couple of key games yeah. ahead of Shane Long, and it seems like now the closer we get to the Euro, there are those. There, there's certain players who we know we can rely on and then there's a decent well, sized group outside yeah. of the outside of the 11 who well, maybe I think there's, I think in any team there's a kind of core of yeah. uh, you know that 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 represent the backbone in one way or the other whether it's the spine of the team or whether it's you know a, a more scattered kind of positionally uh, uh thing but um you know, look, I mean, as you say, Murphy. Murphy started three of the last four games of the campaign, uh, both playoffs, I think, when we, I think Long wasn't around, was he? But uh, he started the Germany game, which was a, which was a fairly kind of critical uh, call by O'Neill. Um, now he's more to the margins. He, 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 hasn't had a, he hasn't had a good season at club level or whatever. But very few people could have, you know, anticipated the second half of the season that Shane Long has had, you know? I mean, we've just like had years and years of Shane Long, you know, reminding us, how brilliant his potential is, and and giving us flashes of you know the the either his finishing or the the power game that he has, the way he pressure, pressurizes defenders, the way he runs them ragged, um, and it just doesn't happen for games on end, you know. Um, and he drops out of the team at club level, and you know uh, he, he you know he drops out of the team at international level, and yet here we have possibly you know. Well, certainly the best, I think, six months of his career uh, going into the European Championships. And, and he's gone from a situation where we were always really hoping he would assert a, a, a major claim to the starting position. We were hoping like he should have displaced Robbie Keane years ago, but yeah. he didn't. And he didn't because that was down to him. It wasn't down well to the brilliance yeah. of Robbie Keane. Yeah. Really uh, but now, now, we have, now we have him absolutely flying and, uh, and, and going into the championship in a way that we, we couldn't have hoped for a year ago. And, you know, I think uh, the, the other players you mentioned there, I mean, Coleman, hasn't had a great season but he is he is you know clearly quality wise a cut above um, the, the more run of the mill uh, members of the side the players that uh, you, that stuck around did they have obviously they had to make the right noises about the players who's left but did you get any sense being in Cork for the last few days of the scene of, of how it was all handled it certainly Roy says look Martin did it very professionally and yeah. the player said that and that that's the sense we get there was no Kevin Foley there's no anger from well, the of rest course, of the Kevin Foley thing, time. you know, happened later Literally, on, yeah. Yeah. and uh, and and I think the original, you know, I mean, the w- trap wasn't a big man for uh, for you know phoning players and you know le- break breaking the news gently. And from that point of view, I think uh, O'Neill has handled this well. It was a very different situation when the players were in and and were yellow in a dressing room and had to be addressed in in, in that sort of way. Yeah. He seems to have handled it as well as you could hope for in these situations. 
uh, Kieran Westwood talked about it a little bit yesterday, and to be honest, it still sounded like a festival of awkwardness. You know, mm. um, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, Westwood is sitting one or two seats away from David Ford, who, uh, who, you know, when the squad is announced, you know, he, he has to go and kind of shake hands with and hug. Um, mm. uh, I mean, it, yeah. it, it must have been an absolutely you know terrible place to be for both for the winners and the losers. The goal, um, goalkeeping situation is is interesting, actually. I mean, Shay Given is obviously back. 40 years old, back in the squad, Ford is out. Uh, I mean, evidently the rule that seems to apply to Aidan McGeady in terms of he made an important contribution at one point in the campaign didn't, wasn't, was there was no consequence for David Ford, who did make some no. big contributions yeah. against Germany, uh, at least. Um, and I, now, I, I, what, I, I, yeah, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, Westwood was was actually speaking to the media yesterday. Yeah. And he's in, he's in an interesting position as well because there's been quite a lot said about him in terms of his attitude to playing for Ireland. Mm. Um, what's, what, I mean, I, I don't really understand where all that comes from. I mean, what's the... He, he, he was sort of addressing this yesterday. What is the situation with, with Westwood? Well, I mean, there is this suspicion, you know, that... I, I mean, to put it bluntly, there is a sense that Westwood is not, you know, one of the most liked or loved players within the squad. I mean, you know, you can, uh, there's that sense. Um, there's also a sense that uh, perhaps he, you know, a bit like Roy and the injuries or whatever, that he, he, he was not a man to, uh, you know, put himself out, especially in terms of injuries to, to play, which would make himself available when in particular he was it didn't appear he wasn't going to, to play. Now, you know, Roy might have a lot of respect for that, particularly for the friendly games, you yeah. know. Uh, being, where, I mean, yeah. he, 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 but, 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 I'm sure you would understand the frustration of being the understudy to someone like Shay Given. I mean, I remember what he said about some people wanting sure. to get 200 caps. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely, you know. Uh, but the word, you know, uh, the, 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 the difficulty here is that over a period of time, the strength of Westwood's claim to that... Uh, that number one spot has has uh, has kind of ebbed and flowed. Uh, you know, there have been times when he's been playing very well at club level, and and it would have been logical to to play him more. There have been times when he, ha- like everyone else, has been kind of out of out of the first team and and not really doing anything to to uh, to embarrass those in front of him. He, 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 we are in a strange situation with the goalkeeping thing in that pretty much anyone who has uh, who has played there. Has never kind of let the side down, uh, yeah, to use yeah. the phrase that 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 O'Neill. We we we've we've put in some some players at times where there was no great reason for optimism, you know, and yet they've all done pretty well. Uh, um, Randolph is, has pretty much seized his chance now. Randolph has been incredibly lucky, I think, in that really he hasn't had a huge amount to do in, mm. in many of the games that he's played He made for one Ireland. good save in Bosnia. I yeah. Think, I think no, 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 no. And he has made some good saves. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 think he, I think he has done enough to kind of, you know, if, 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 if kind of, you know, if, if playing solidly keeps you the jersey or if, you, if you're the man, if there's much importance attached to being the man in possession, then I think he's done enough to stay in possession. But Westwood is the only one of, of any of these players who week in, week out over the last year has, been, has played a lot of football. 37 games, I think, for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, seven clean sheets since the last 12 under pressure situations as, as Wednesday pushed for promotion. I mean, that's that's decent. You know, It's, it's the, the most ch- impressive you know, record of club football of any of the goalkeepers leading yeah. to the tournament. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and given as 
broken back in a, a couple of times into the club, uh, into the club uh, for Stoke. Hasn't gone well for a variety of reasons to injury, uh, uh, being part of that. Uh, Randolph rarely getting a look, in, a look in for West Ham. Ford, ultimately, I mean, there's a lot of people feel sorry for Ford because he is hugely liked and and uh, O'Neill had, I think, built built him up slightly by talking so often publicly about um, about the contribution that he had made and the loyalty that perhaps uh, was, was deserved as a result of that. But he was still a very, on, on all logical footballing grounds, he was still a very easy player to say no to because, you know, really he didn't have much of a case. Are you worried about the little niggles that a lot of players either seem to have now or are just recovering from? And Jonathan Walters now added to that yeah. list. There seems to be quite a number of, in some case, leading players, James McCarthy being another, who... Yeah. It's just the doubts around. I don't think they become hyper aware of every little. Yeah, thing I think there'd be a little bit of that, and 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 I, and I wouldn't be aware. I wouldn't be too concerned about the um, about the little niggles, you know. Now McCarthy seems to have been more than that. There certainly seemed to be a kind of some sort of sense conveyed of doubt about whether he would actually be fit, certainly fit, certainly for the first game, and whether perhaps there might be a doubt about whether he'd be kind of you know fit enough to justify bringing to the championships. But some of the players coming off kind of long layoffs is certainly a concern um, or, the, or kind of ha- having come off the back of injury interrupted seasons. And, and Hendrick is an obvious concern there. I mean, Hendrick started nearly all the, the, the big games for Ireland. Uh, he became a very, very important player to the team, certainly in Martin O'Neill's eyes. And yet he's really had a terrible uh, time at, at Derby with, with injuries, really hasn't played any competitive football in, in recent months yeah, and, and certainly showed all the signs of that the other night. Yeah, it's probably unfair me earlier on naming those players for pulling out of tackles. It's, I, I guess... That's it well, true. Absolutely yeah. true. I, saw, I, I couldn't believe. How, well, I could believe it. I, could, I knew why Hendrick was doing it, but it was really a, yeah, so a really it, obvious it, one it, in the second yeah. half. You're like, and oh, it doesn't look great. It's, yeah. But it's, it's possibly more understandable. Uh, you know, this, if you are coming off the back yourself of injuries, you're as you say, you're pretty hyper aware of these. Yeah. of anything that could. But Hendrick, I mean, was just was looked so out of character the other night. You know, he. Mm. I, I mean, aside from 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 kind of leaving tackles go, he was just pushed around by the number seven. I I, I can't remember the guy's name. He just mm. pushed around endlessly by him and seemed to accept that uh, he was second best in, in you know in any sort of physical battle. Maybe um, Nigel Pearson will straighten him out now. Nigel uh, Pearson <laughs> just arriving in Derby County today, oh, yeah. so uh, <laughs> yeah. you can maybe do a Danny Drinkwater on uh, Jeff Hendrick. Are you optimistic? Uh, about our name. championship? Yeah. Uh, well, like obviously, like everybody else, I think a lot more optimistic than four years ago. The team has certainly shown that in addition to being hard to beat, you know, not the other night notwithstanding, um, we actually now can, can go there believing that on our day we can beat a good team, which, you know, you, that, that sense had you know, been lost, uh, you know, by the time we went to, to Poland four years ago. Uh, and the tournament structure, you know, I mean, I, you know, if, if, I could, if, if I could rewrite the rules, I'd take it back down to 16. And, and, and unfortunately, that would probably mean we wouldn't be there because I think it would be a better tournament. And mm. you know, we all loved the, the European Championships for the fact that it was sort of quality from day one, and the stakes were high. They're lower now. A, a win would probably get us through. And uh, look, I'm never optimistic, but hopeful. <laughs> Always <laughs> and hopeful. Brilliant stuff. Thanks. Cheers. It's one of those things. One of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Second chance. No! no, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any 
questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh yeah. He's got more of a tan than me. Yeah, lovely description of the strange couple of days in Cork, the festival of awkwardness uh, around the naming of the squad. We saw that uh, the, the pictures, the TV pictures in Satanta were pretty clearly indicative of uh, Kieran Westwood thinking that he was not going to get picked for the squad when David Ford came on, which uh, I was certain that that's the, that's the way it was played up afterwards anyway. The, and he looked... He had the, this smile on him, this smile as in, can you believe this? Mm. Rye, I think they might call it. Mm. And he also just looked genuinely kind of pissed off that he wasn't getting a run. David Ford, delighted, comes on and then is told a while later he's not getting in the squad. Yeah, well, I can see it from Westwood's point of view, I have to say. I mean, he's the only one who has been... Oh, he deserves a place in the squad. Definitely. I just mean, it was such a strange scenario. I think you mentioned your piece on Monday or Tuesday. The, the, Martin leaving the squad late wasn't really that much of an issue, but playing a game on the night that the squad was due in complicated matters in possibly a needless fashion. And he seems to have handled it, as Emma said, he seems to have handled the actual uh, news, uh, the dispensing of the news to players in quite a classy way. Mm. But it just seemed like there was an extra layer of, co- of complexity that didn't need to be added to this squad selection. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you'd, if you'd rather get a phone call or actually be in the dressing room with like guys who were going and then be told you're not going, be called into a room the dope testing room or whatever to hear the news. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Martin O'Neill, when he came out afterwards, talked about David Ford a lot and how great David Ford was and how and how it really hurts to have to do that. But that was football kind of thing. But, you know, he he, he, play, he put plenty of compliments there. Um, and then he didn't want to answer any questions. <clears throat> you know, he was asked a few questions about this one. He just like, you know, he seemed irritated at the idea that he that he should have to explain any of his decisions. You know what I mean? He, he, so uh, maybe he was a little bit, you know, I don't think he necessarily really enjoyed the process either. In terms of Westwood, he he deserves to go. And the player who's keeping Ford out of the squad isn't Westwood, it's Given. Given is the, is the guy who retired. You know, he was he was gone. He played at the last European Championships. He played really badly. I mean, he, I don't think he was fully fit. Uh, and he retired. And now he's back. And that's David Ford's problem, really. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really see that Shay Given's season has has uh, been pulling up too many trees. It's not as though at club level you'd look at it and go, "Well, Shay has been in such amazing form that clearly, you know, David Ford, despite his his fine performances in the qualifiers, you know, he's he's you know he's fallen behind." I don't think that's the case. Given Given's gone because O'Neill just prefers Given. All right, yeah, Ford's gone because O'Neill's uh, Ford's Given, Ford. and, and Ford lost his place at club level as well, which was. A, a bit of a problem. Matt Spiro is based in France, Matt, and we've been talking a little bit about the latest developments in the Karim Benzema omission from the squad and what Eric Cantona thought of that. I mean, he seemed to... There, there was, I don't know how much credence was necessarily given to what Cantona had to say when he said uh, when he said what he said about Karim Benzema being left out. And now Benzema himself has, well, largely backed up Cantona. Explain, explain what's happening here. Yes, well, I would say that uh, Eric Cantona's comments didn't get an awful lot of credence over here in France, partly because we know that uh, Cantona has been at loggerheads with Didier Deschamps for the best part of uh, of 20 years, and that was his sort of latest uh, attack on, on Didier Deschamps. There was also a, a well-known comedian who is uh, of North African descent, Jamal Dabouz, who uh, came out and uh, made made similar comments. And now, like you say, Karim Benzema, the man himself, has uh, given a, 
a really uh, badly timed interview, let's say, to, to Marker. He's come out and said he hasn't directly accused Didier Deschamps of, uh, of racism, but he said that Deschamps has been uh, uh, influenced by um, certain people, uh, a part of the, uh, of the French public that uh, he feels is, uh, is racist uh, towards uh, North African people. And I think it's, uh, it's important to, to specify that because a lot of people would look at the, the makeup of, of the French squad and uh, there's a uh, a lot of uh, you know black faces. A lot of people of uh, from from uh, West Africa in particular, or West African origins. Um, Didier Deschamps. Uh, I think anyone who knows him, anybody who uh, who has seen the way he's worked through the years and spent time with him, he is not racist. He is uh, uh, a very very uh, fiercely competitive man who always wants to win and will pick the team that he thinks. Uh, would uh, would give him the best chance of of doing that. So the suggestions that that Deschamps has been picking players because of race has been given absolutely no credence at all. Uh, you know, even since uh, Karim Benzema has has talked. But it is a a debate that has been going on in, in French society for quite some time. There is uh, an issue uh, in terms of uh, identity in in France. That's something that uh, that hasn't gone away and. Uh, Sadly, Benzema has has sort of used that to, to to make a case, to try to make a point. But the timing of it is is awful, and uh, he hasn't put the best interests of the of the French national team first. There's no question about that. Well, if you, I mean, you could you could describe it as you know unfortunate and badly timed and so on. But then again, if Karen Benzema genuinely believes this, it's pretty serious from his point of view. He's got every right to stand up for himself. Why does he think that? Himself and I—I I don't know if he's actually mentioned Ben Arthur Canton. I definitely did. Uh, have been have been left out because of their backgrounds. Whereas, for instance, Adil Rami, um, that doesn't seem to be an issue in his case. Because I think it's something that that, that runs quite deep in French society, and I think it's a, a problem that in certain sectors, that in the, in certain areas of French life, it is a, a problem that does exist. What I find sad is that in football, uh, this problem does not exist and football is one walk of life where uh, France expresses it itself in a in an incredibly united and uh, and multicultural way and unfortunately uh, Karim Benzema's words go against that but for me it's a it's a case of uh, not looking at at the reality of the situation and uh, and coming out and trying to to defend himself with with words that are totally false and totally or allegations that are totally false and and totally unjustified um that that's my feeling that's the feeling of a a lot of french people some have come out this morning and said look Karim Benzema hasn't been uh tried yet he's not been found guilty uh of uh, contributing to the to the blackmailing of uh, of Mathieu Valbuena that is true but Karim Benzema has been involved in several uh, off-field scandals, several affairs. He is implicated in this Matteo Valbuena blackmailing uh, uh, over the uh, the sex tape. And um, the French public, I think, in general, had, had had enough. And I think you have to put into context as well everything the French national team has been through in the last 10 years, which uh, uh, you know culminated with that strike in Neissner in South Africa in, in, in 2010. And Didier Deschamps, since he took charge, in 2012 has been desperately trying to improve the image of the French national team. And I think as much as anything, the decision that he and the French Federation made not to select Karim Benzema was primarily because he wanted that image 
to, uh, to, to remain wholly positive and he didn't want negativity surrounding the team. Benzema was getting booed by, uh, by large parts of the French public. You may say that's not a problem that's gone away because now Giroud is, <laughs> is, is getting booed. But the feeling was that France wanted to, uh, to present a united front. It's difficult to present a united front when you've got two players, Benzema and, and Valbuena, involved in uh, a very uh, complex and unseemly uh, uh, investigation, ongoing investigation. Well, I mean, I mean uh, in one level, I kind of wonder, I, I wonder what goes on in Karen Benzema's head. Uh, you know, the fact that he he's on tape talking to this guy who's trying to blackmail Valbuena. Everyone can hear what he's saying. It's definitely at odds with the explanation he gave, you know, when this was sort of first reported. He said, oh, I was just trying to help Valbuena, Valbuena out. And that's certainly not what it sounds like on the tape. And that's obviously a pretty big deal. You know, to, to be involved in something like this regarding a teammate is the kind of thing I could, I could see you, I could see getting you dropped from a squad. Uh, but I do wonder if he feels as though he, he has become a kind of a, a magnet for abuse uh, from people who maybe don't have the best, uh, I mean, clearly he does feel that way. And, and I, I mean, we saw, for instance, a couple of months ago, uh, that the Prime Minister of France had a pop at him. I mean, how many, how many times does this happen that the Prime Minister has yeah. a go at a player for not setting the right example? Benzema responds to the, the Prime Minister essentially said, um, you know, for young people, a great sportsman must be exemplary, um, you know, which is, which is debatable. I think, uh, I think uh, Karen Benzema responded that, you know, 541 matches, 11 yellow cards, no sendings off, and some people question the example that I set. Maybe he does feel as though he's a little bit under siege from people who are, who are kind of using him uh, for political ends. Well, maybe, well, I think you're right. I think he does. And I think the people around him are, are, are fueling that as well. I think, you know, his, uh, his agent and his entourage aren't, aren't necessarily helping. But I think it's important as well to, uh, to remember that Karim Benzema, I mean, what you say about the prime minister, I mean, that, that, that's been totally unhelpful. And it was, I don't think, not his place to be, uh, to be making that sort of comment at that point in time. But uh, Deschamps, who is coming under fire now, has been hugely supportive of, uh, of Karim Benzema, has tried to build the team or at least the attack around Karim Benzema. He went, he went more than 1,200 minutes without scoring in 2012-2013 with the French national team. Deschamps stood by him, supported him. He gave uh, an right, interview. Rightly so, rightly he so, gave, Matt. He, he gave an interview earlier this year saying, regardless of, of what is going on uh, uh, you know, around him, I want Karim Benzema in my team. And I can, I can absolutely understand that because if, you, if your alternative, if your next best alternative is Olivier Giroud, you're going to want Karim Benzema in your team if you can pick you him that, at all. How, I mean, how, have you watched a lot of Benzema with the French national team? Because he's been very disappointing a lot of the time. And I know he, he is without question. I, I saw him last week. I saw him last week in Milan at the, winning the Champions League with Real Madrid and I, I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, he, you know, he's playing in a team with, with guys like Ronaldo and Bale. I, I'd argue a level above uh, what he plays with with France, I see a lot of Olivier Giroud as well. You mentioned yeah. that the, the fans have been booing him. And I, uh, was that just for his performances, or has he has he done something else? Uh, no, I think it's the uh, the general sort of uh, feeling and negativity that's built up throughout the uh, the time that he's really struggled in the uh, in you know in the last few months of uh, of last season, and and the fact that people are saying you know why is this guy our centre forward when we've got so much uh, strong attacking talent? But uh, again, Deschamps. Is is showing loyalty to his players, and I think he shows a lot of loyalty to to his players. So, and do you think do you think Matt that um, 
that if it was actually up to Deschamps, that he, that Benzema would still be in the squad. Because it sounds as though, you know, having backed him through this long kind of goalless streak, he obviously believes him as a footballer, you know, leaving aside uh, questions of character uh, and, and intelligence. He thinks he, he thinks of Benzema as a good player. Would he be picking Benzema if the Federation hadn't sort of decided for him that Benzema was going to be excluded? Who made that call? Good question. It, it, it's it's been kind of uh, skirted over somewhat in that it's been seen as uh, Noel Legrette, the French FA president, in uh, in collaboration with uh, with Didier Deschamps. My understanding, and from what I read, is that Deschamps was very disappointed and felt let down by Benzema. For uh, he supported Benzema a lot. There are other cases. There are some pretty murky cases going on uh, as well. Benzema was uh, involved in a separate investigation to the uh, to the blackmailing scandal with Karim, uh, with uh, Matteo Valbuena. Didier Deschamps wasn't informed of this by Benzema before it all came out in the press. And from what I understand, he felt very let down that Benzema hadn't talked to him about this. There's an awful lot going on behind the scenes. And one other thing I will say is that something that hasn't been talked about so much in this marker interview is what Benzema has said about Matteo Valbuena which is that uh, there's only uh, there's only one person who knows the truth he's been lying and uh, he's going to get what's coming to him and you know so he's basically accused Valbuena of being a liar as well and and has has said that you know he's 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 going to get it <laughs> what, what whatever that means and Valbuena who was an important player for France uh, a year ago has uh, struggled hugely in in the last year and there's no question that this blackmailing case has 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 affected his game. So you know, I don't want to be. Uh, Karim Benzema is an excellent footballer, and he's just won the Champions League, and he's been Real Madrid centre forward for the best part of of seven years. But for me, it's not it's not as it's not as clear as that. In a tournament, you need a group of players, you need uh, a public that's behind you, you need a, a team spirit, and you need a you need a team. And I'm not convinced that even from a, a sporting point of view, France are that much better or even better. So we'll see what happens this summer. But that, that's my feeling. Matt, just a, a last one. The, one of the reporters reading this quotes an unnamed player in the French team. He says, today we have a press conference. It's not Karim who will face a journalist. I do not understand the timing. He's put us in the shitter. Do you reckon that this would be a widely held view within the French camp that, jeez, uh, Karim, you, we, we could have done without this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean... Honestly, I, I was giving interviews last week talking about how the feel-good factors returned to the to, to the French national team and what a great job Didier Deschamps has done. That that's all changed now. You know, that's that's all changed. Obviously, the the injuries haven't helped. Lasana Diara pulling out a couple of days ago. That's a a big loss. But uh, the last thing they needed was uh, you know an an affair like this, another uh, you know racially uh, fueled affair breaking, and uh, the the timing of it is. Is absolutely uh, is absolutely terrible. You know, we're eight days away from uh, from France's opening game. There's already some tension because some fans are, are having a big go at Olivier Giroud, who looks very very glum about the the whole situation. And uh, Karim Benzema coming out and saying this isn't going to help Giroud, and it's not going to help all of the players who are trying to focus on uh, preparing for what is uh, an absolutely massive event here in France. Matt Spiro, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Pretty strong stuff from Matt there. If we get back to the core of this uh, of this piece, and that is that Karim Benzema is making a claim, regardless, of, it's almost a bit muddled because Cantona said what, what he said, and th- that this is how the news the news came. A question was put to Benzema, who then answered it. The point is that Benzema has said that his national coach has caved into this these racist views in France and hasn't picked him on that basis. 
Matt's pretty clear that that's an excuse. The guy has been alleged to have been involved in a blackmail uh, plot yeah, it does against get, a teammate. And he's yeah, on it, tape talking about it. Yeah, yeah. it gets muddled right. and then you realise, well, wait a second here, regardless of what's happened and regardless of how poisonous relations are in France at the moment between uh, people of North African descent and other French people, <laughs> the guy tried to blackmail one of his teammates yeah. but, over I mean, a sex tape. Yeah, so, Cantona, I mean, like, that's Cantona's that. point was, you know, hey, you know, the French parliament is full of, like, sexy antics. No yeah. one ever seems to have a problem with it. Doesn't even get in the newspapers. You know, so why is it different with this guy? That was Cantona's yeah. point. Now, I, it does appear as though he may have committed a serious crime. That's going through the courts. <laughs> we'll wait and see. And, and, so, and, you know, when you do, do this kind of stuff within your team, it's a bit different. It's like John Terry. You know, didn't John Terry lost the England captaincy over that Wayne Bridge business? Nothing, nothing illegal there. Nothing illegal. But clearly not appropriate behavior. Not, just not cricket. From one teammate, for, for one teammate to treat another teammate like that. That's just not, that's not good. So he lost the captaincy over that. And, and I don't think too many people, well, there were some people who, who, who thought he should have kept it anyway. Thought he thought John Terry should have got everything, come out completely 100% the winner from that. But plenty of people could see why he'd, he had to pay a price for that. We had a cracking night in Crane Lane Theatre on Monday. Brian Kerr, Stephen Hunt and Dion Fanning were there. Brilliant crowd as ever in Cork. We put out that show already. Hopefully you've already heard the Kerr, Hunt, Dion chat. But we were also joined in Cork City by one of the all-time greats, Paul McGrath. We wanted to find out who Paul would pick in a fantasy team of former teammates. So club, country, whatever he wanted to do there. He always gets named in these sort of teams himself. But who would he go for? out of uh, all the Irish legends uh, and great players he's played with at club level. You'll find out after a little bit of Euros chat at the start. Is everyone here ready for our big guest? Yeah, all right. Well, this time, 28 years ago, he was getting ready to play in his first major international tournament. By the end of Euro 88, the UA chant was born and he was on his way to becoming one of the all-time Irish football heroes. Ladies and gentlemen of Cork City, give it up, please, for Paul McGrath! <laughs> got a very important sheet of paper here that Paul will reveal the details of that one a little bit later on, Paul, if that's okay. Welcome to Cork. I love these people. They don't think I do, but I do. I love them. <laughs> Even Roy. <laughs> especially Roy. You always got well, on pretty well, Roy. Especially Roy. Especially Roy. Tell us, the European, and we'll get back to the current team now, but the Euro 88 campaign that you were involved in, would you say that was the making of you personally as an international footballer? Without a doubt, yeah. I think it was for a few players, you know. You know, when you're playing a, an England team with Glenn Hoddle, Peter Beardsley, they every name that they could possibly name on their squad. We were never afraid of them because we, we know that you, you were allowed tackle in those days and we tackled. <laughs> we just thought we could annoy them enough of amount of the teams that, we, that, that they, they would respect us and go, Jesus Christ, these, aren't, these lads aren't letting go. They're not letting go. Please just stop putting balls into the box. It wasn't a style of football that I liked, to be honest. I, I have to say that truthfully. But, um, you know, when we walk off the pitch and we won the match, is that not... So you couldn't do anything better to beat us. And they couldn't. Jack wanted us still to play that certain way, and, you know, we did it. News is coming today. Robbie Keane has a, an injury problem. And he hasn't started a game. When was the last game he played for? Uh, Georgia, I think. Georgia, Georgia last, last year. Last September. September. Yeah. Um, would you be 
obviously he's not a regular starter at the moment, but given the experience that he has and how good he supposedly is for the rest of the team, would you be concerned if he wasn't on the plane? Oh, yeah, no, but I, th I think he will be. I, I, I think even if it's just for uh, moral support, you know, anyone who scores the amount of goals that he's done for Ireland deserves to be on the plane, whether if he's serving the drinks. Can you afford to do that, though? Can you afford to bring a player who, who can't play... When, when there's guys who can play, maybe haven't scored 67 goals for Ireland, but can actually play in the Euros, should they, would they not deserve to go more? Yeah, you have a point there, but no. <laughs> you cannot leave Robbie Keane at home. You, you, you just can't do it, because if you're doing it, you're, you're not only degrading what he's done for Ireland. I always look towards what he's done for Ireland. He has made us a nation to be feared. He's just a charming human being. And for anyone to fly back from America as many times as he do to help this country, and I know everyone here is saying he'll he won't get a touch of the ball, but I honestly believe he'll come on and he'll score a wonder goal and people will be saying, Jesus, wasn't Paul McGrath brilliant? <laughs> to be honest, Owen, I, I think he's worth... The, he's worth... Even if he doesn't come on and play, he, Robbie Keane is worth that extra player to go... To, to just encourage the other players because he will bring them on. He's earned he's earned his right to be there. Well, listen, Paul, at the risk of ageing you, it's not far off 20 years since you hung up the boots. In 97, I think you finished playing for Ireland in 98. That's true, yeah. But you haven't been forgotten and any time that you see footballers of the 80s and 90s picking their fantasy teams and all of that, they'll always have big Paul right in the heart of it, anyone who played with them. So I think it's only right to return the compliment tonight, which is why this is what the piece of paper is all about. We're going to ask you, Paul McGrath, to name the greatest 11 players that you played with for club or country. Oh, people, it's a pretty dramatic uh, reaction from the crowd there. I'm not sure how that comes across, but uh, a lot of decisions okay. to make here. So who's in goals, first of all? Packy Bonner was my first uh, pick. Back four? Back four. Jeez, I had a, geez, I had a cork, man. Well, can you believe that? One or two cork men in this one. You know, Dennis Erwin was... was <laughs> he, he, he was just something special. He was something... He was absolutely a fantastic player. And the lovely thing about Dennis was he's a quiet lad. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I'm, I'm the greatest and all this. Now, yep. It's Latin. Your centre... <laughs> I, I, I keep getting it in because we're playing them first. Your centre half... I want you to remember that. <laughs> centre half was... Um, a strange one for, for maybe some people down here, but Sean Teal was Sean Teal was one Teal of my teammate, yeah. oh, We put two up there. We've also put Kevin Moran on screen. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were your picks, weren't they? Yeah, they were. No, okay, they were great, great. two centre halves. Kevin's where he should be. Kevin used to put his head in where he shouldn't have. I, I I would not have used my boot where he put his face in. Seriously, left back, Chris Hutton. Chris Hutton, I, 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 I thought, was an elegant player. He was a real class act, a really class act, and he was magnificent. Who are you missing there, Ken, before we move on from the defence? Well, it's a bit of a burn for Mick McCarthy and David O'Leary, what was <laughs> old Sean Teal. No, 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 no. no. Sean Teal was ah, a good Jesus. player. No, Mick, Mick, Mick Searcy used to scream and shout, and, and, and the, their goalkeeper would kick the ball out, and if I heard that hooligan screaming... I just stepped out of the way, and he used to thump the ball 70 yards up with, with some Italian attached to it. <laughs> and um, I, I, 
Seriously, I, 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 just, I just thought that was a bit out of order. He could have let him... He could have just <laughs> done the Italian. <laughs> but anyway... Let's start looking at the... We've got four across midfield, starting the right-hand side. You, you might not know this guy, Roy Keane. <laughs> and um, alongside him, Sid Cowns. Sid Cowns was um, a villa mate of mine. And I, I swear to God, I left the club and I didn't know what, what foot he kicked with. And then, um, obviously, Brian Robson. Right. Now, Brian Robson was the best player I've ever played with. Um, I had to put this guy in because he was the one that uh, got me into football and, and, and just, I loved this kid. Liam Brady was, he was fantastic. That's a hell of a midfield, I must say, yeah. Brady, Brady and Keane on either side. And then um, strikers, strikers were Dwight York. Now, these are two strange ones. Yorkie's yeah, in yeah, there? Yeah, oh, Yorkie's there. Yorkie's York, there. People might be not liking this one, but Dean Saunders, the Welsh guy. No, the only reason he's in, because he, do, he nutmegged me twice. Germ- <laughs> Seriously, during one game. And I said to him, if you nutmeg me one more time, I'll cripple you. <laughs> And seriously, he didn't. <laughs> now, now, um, okay, well, that's a hell of a team. We, we, well, we'll give you a few. We'll give you some substitutes we'll to see some if, you want to, if you want to rescue any names that. Uh, Ru- well, be. I had Ronnie Whelan in. Uh, Tony Daly was another one. Tony Daly. Ray Houghton. Um, Norman Whiteside. Yeah, your old friend. And the last one was obviously was Sparky Hughes was was a Manchester United, and he was brilliant. All he right, do so we like that team and subs? Happy enough. Well done. Anyone else we miss out on, Ken? No, I'm happy enough for that. Happy enough. Aldo yeah. up front, maybe hard done by. <sighs> you obviously didn't write Aldo, do you? Know, <laughs> Who? John, John Aldridge. Ah, Jesus. Or Quinny. No, but yeah, I love those people. Before we let you go, how far are Ireland, Ireland going to go in Euro 2016? But I, I think we're in a, a really tough group, and if we get out of it, then, then I think we could go very far in the group. Really? Okay. Yeah, honestly. It's great to hear. L- love the confidence. Amazing having you here. Paul McGuire, everybody! Yeah, I don't know if it fully came across the reaction of the core crowd there when I revealed that we would be asking Paul to pick this fantasy team. There was a there was a sharp intake of breath. Uh, I think there's something about these teams where they know that the person giving them is going to have to make some hard calls and is going to have to leave some good players out. Maybe we'll look at a couple of them here, Ken. Who didn't get it. So the team, just to recap there, it's Bonner and Goal, Irwin and Hewton are the fullbacks. Kevin Moore and Sean Teal in the middle. Roy Keane on the right. Liam Brady on the left of midfield. Brian Robson and Gordon Cowns. And then up front, Dean Saunders and Dwight York. Yeah. So uh, no Quinny, no Aldo up front. No Irish players up front is my point. Well. Surprised about that. I Robbie, mean, he, he, he played. He did. I think he, did I think he did play a game. That only occurs to me now. Yeah, he played a game with Roy Keane, but maybe, I mean, did they over, only overlap by one one or two games? I mean, then, yeah, then it is maybe hard for him to, yeah. The semantics of, well, at that time, as he was playing with you, was he the greatest player that you'd ever played? Greatest striker that you'd obviously not. Was he as good as Dwight York, Robbie Keane? York, I can see how Dwight York might have made a bigger impression on Paul McGrath uh, in his in his. You were perturbed at Sean Teal's inclusion at the expense of some Irish legends. Uh not really. I mean, Paul McGrath <laughs> knows these guys better than I do. Mm. Uh, just Sean Teal was a sort of wow. Sean Teal. It's a long time since I've heard that name. Yeah, it's that, yeah. One of those v- one of those Villa nineteen ninety names. You know, Ian Ormondroyd. Kevin Richardson. Kevin Richardson. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was didn't wasn't he Arsenal as well? Uh, you know, Spinks. I'm surprised he didn't. Uh, or Spink or Spinks? It's Leon Spinks, Nigel Spink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he, he was a good goalkeeper. You know, I was a bit surprised that um, that uh, 
he didn't go for him over Paddy Boner, but, but no. Yeah, I hope you've been enjoying the build up to the Euro so far. A reminder that the Irish Times Second Captains Euros podcast will be hitting you every day, Monday to Friday, during the competition. So can't get wait wait to get going on that. There's also going to be loads of great writing in the Irish Times and on IrishTimes.com, including. Paul Harrow's brilliant Lost Shoe Diaries. It's the, the secret diary of a leading FAI official. You should check out part one, which is already out. In our podcast today, we have our other podcast today. We have US Murph, a very excited US Murph, after witnessing what he claimed is one of the top three sporting events of his lifetime. And Ushi McConville being entertaining and insightful as ever. And he was the man with the most insight into the story that we could think of anyway. Kier McGinney, his troubles with Armagh, the issues between Armagh and Cross McGlynn, well, there's friction there, as Ushin himself said, and we tried to get to the bottom of some of the reasons for that and exactly why one of the greatest players of all time who seemed to be having a promising managerial career isn't making it happen with his own county. Hopefully that's bigged it all up enough. You're excited to listen back to the podcast you've already done, Ken? I can't wait. Yeah, great stuff. Murph, you're going to listen to that podcast? Yeah, you know it, Owen. Like you know it. it. Okay, thanks very much for listening to this one. Thank you, Murph. Thank, Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.